guys. Welcome to another episode of Layered Butter. My name is Rafael Cordero, and I'm joined by, obviously, my good friends. Let's start with my co-host, Rodrigo. Where are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. And we also have our good friend of the pod, Jordan Sloggett. Jordan, you there? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me again. I mean, I think at this point, it's best friend of the pod, That's right? true. Like- best friend of the pod. Yes, of course. <laughs> now we got the trio back together. Um, but yeah, welcome to another episode of Layered Butter. Today, um, it's another special episode, another Q&A, another mailbox episode for the pod. So we're going to go through some of the stuff that we've been watching recently and uh, some some of the hot takes that I think some of our fans have brought in. But before we get into the nitty and gritty, let's do some uh, housekeeping. So um, uh, for those uh, uh, anxiously awaiting their Nolan issue, um, Nolan has now officially been shipped out. So anywhere in the world, so we have um, Asia, Canada, United States, sadly, any, anywhere but Europe right now should be on their way. You should have got your tracking code. Our friends at um, Uniquely Geekly, our partners, um, have been helping us out, ship out our um, orders are getting them ready for Europe. So our Europe friends will be right with you when we can. Um, other than that, don't forget to check out our new revamped website. Um, Layered Butter has been fixed up with some um, amazing, amazing new art and um, uh, features from our magazines. So um, check that out. Um, and also, don't forget to be a Patreon. So support us on Patreon. For a price of a coffee, you can see some behind-the-scene footage and some uh, hidden art and some cool features from the team at Layered Butter. Yeah, uh, I will also promise you, if you're a patron and you have an idea of something else that you want, you can message us directly and I will listen to you because we don't have, <laughs> I will listen to you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have enough patrons that your message will get lost. It will come to me directly and I will do whatever you want. So you might get free. a shout out on the pod too, yeah. right? So uh, yeah, give us a shout. I hope the patrons oh. really take you up on that offer and like put in some weird requests. <laughs> It'll happen. You'll, you'll talk It'll directly happen. to Rodrigo. So yeah. th- that's your bonus. Um, but other than that, I guess we can um, get started. So um, I, you know, I'd like to get started with some of the stuff that we've been watching, maybe a catch up of um, mm-hmm. some of the stuff, whether it's movies, whether it's um, some TV shows or anything that's interesting nowadays. So uh, uh, Jordan, how about you? Let's get started. Uh, what have you been watching, man? Mm, what I've, have I been watching? Well, I'll start with something. Say, be- before you get started, Jordan, mm-hmm. I love when we go to you because you are like a person that pulls out something from the nineties or eighties or something that I haven't seen. I haven't even thought of in like 10 years. And then you're like, I revisited this and then it just makes me want to go watch that. I remember, I think last time we did a Q and a and you were on it, we had, um, I think it was a karate kid. Yeah. It was like karate kid. I was in the middle of the karate kid movies at the time. And now it feels like it's in the distance because I've finished Cobra Kai and their next season's not going to be up for another year. So I'm just in the the long, dark (laughs) period of between Cobra Kai and karate kid movies. I think after oh, I talked you- to you, I did watch the the next Karate Kid with um, Hilary Swank. Is that who it is? How was it? It, it was garbage. Kid. It was the one that oh, was like Mr. Miyagi's <laughs> in it, but Daniel Sun's not in it, so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't any good. Is she is the female character is Hilary Swank in any way related? Is it like a cousin that is training with him, or just like completely? It's completely. Detached? Well, it's it's the same like universe and everything but it's like mr miyagi's mm-hmm. old war buddy's granddaughter or Whoa. something or something like that i also watched the 2010 jackie chan karate kid remake uh oh Jaden smith yeah which was not bad it was just it was very long and is that a hot take um <laughs> no not a hot take <laughs> lukewarm take uh it was perfectly watchable uh but really if you're interested just watch the like the two jackie chan fight scenes on youtube and you'll get the best parts of the movie. Is it like a direct remake? Um, no, it's like very Mr. different. Miyagi? No, it's like he's a, 
it's a, uh, it, instead of in the original movie, they went from, uh, he was a kid growing up in New Jersey and then they moved to California and that's where he meets Mr. Miyagi, him and his mom. In this movie, him and his mom are from Detroit and they moved to China. And so if oh. he's like completely in like, um, a completely new country, he doesn't speak the language. So, uh, it's some interesting, like trying to fit in, like, cause he's very yeah. like, you know, it's not like, Oh, I'm a kid from New Jersey and California. <laughs> it's a little bit more. World, yeah. Man. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe I'll give it a shot. I don't know. I mean, Jaden Smith. I mean, I, I don't think I'll give it a shot. I, I will say this as warmly as possible. It's like, I mean, maybe I could rewatch like one and two. I think that's about as far as I can go. Yeah, definitely rewatch the originals. Don't don't even bother unless you're a completionist like I am. But I'm I'm spending too much time talking about the Karate Kid movies. What I want to talk about is fair enough. Uh, I'll say actually, I just watched this uh, this past weekend, uh, which is 1999's The Mummy. Starring Buddy. Brendan Fraser. Oh, here we go. Okay, so here we go. I caused a bit of some controversy behind the scenes <laughs> in the layered butter, like staff only areas where mm-hmm. my letterboxed review of The Mummy, which, you know, I thought three out of five stars, perfectly fine Sunday kind of watch, wasn't that special. Now. But I feel like I set the world on fire, like with this. Yeah. I, oh my God. Uh, I, I remember, was triggered. I remember The Mummy being a little bit more fun. Maybe I parts of it in my head were just wrapped <gasps> up with the, the fact. Um, that a lot of it is trying to be Raiders of the Lost Ark and it just falls quite short of that. Yeah. Um, special effects are kind of fun in like a PlayStation 2 cutscene kind of way. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm holding back. I will say it, you know, it's obviously shot on film. Like, so it, it has that kind of like big blockbustery sort of look to it at times. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're introduced to it there to our main character, uh, Brendan Fraser, who's, a white man in the 1920s who's just like <laughs> killing the scores and scores of uh, Egyptians who I believe are just trying to defend uh, a haunted, Amanatra, like yeah. yeah, a haunted yeah. area of their like that's sacred to them. So a true homage to Indiana Jones <laughs> in that way. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess the the mummy. I'm sure it'll hold up better for most people since it's beloved. But I hadn't watched this in a very long time, and I didn't think it really held up. It was fun. Oh. But. Rod, what are you going to say? Because I'm going to, I'm going to be last for this. Little yeah. Okay. Here. So I guess how <laughs> I feel about it is based on my memories of it. And I think considering like what I know about the original mummy that's kind of exists in this more classic horror type monster movie, when they remade it, they made a very conscious decision to abandon that and be a little more jocular and like a little more fun and lighthearted. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that tone change probably worked better for me at the time. I'm trying to think in terms of like big moments, like what I liked about this movie. I, I come up, I come up with like that uh, sand wave with the face. Yep, That's like what that I remember scene. too. That's, that's stuck a, in my head. Yeah. That's yeah. That's like stuck in my head. But other than that, I mean, there's one other thing I remembered as a kid and it's the, the bugs under the skin. Like that yeah. special effect. Yeah, that, uh, I didn't even remember that. I feel like in my brain, the, the mummy is like kind of weirdly CGI in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he starts getting progressively hotter as the movie ends <laughs> until he's just like a regular dude yep. is, I guess, like my well, perception. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, how it is. I mean, overall, I would say like, I also agree with Jordan that three out of five seems like a perfectly good score for this movie because it oh. seems absolutely fine. Like, I mean, I don't know what your perception of three is. My perception of three is a good movie. I would say 2.5 is like a movie that's just okay. 
three is good, four is great, five is perfect, right? And so if you're asking me where I feel, how I feel about The Mummy, I feel like it's a good movie. I would watch it again. I mean, I could probably like, you know, get stoned and laugh about how shitty some parts <laughs> are, but that's like, I don't think that's wrong. That's what it's, that's what it wanted to be. And that's what it is, is how listen, I feel. Listen, guys, I, I we got to take a tangent here because uh, mm-hmm. I am the biggest Brendan Fraser stan, I think, in the Layered Butter group and maybe the world. I don't know. But listen, I think The Mummy is easily a four stars on Letterboxd. It is not good. It is fantastic. It is not perfect. No, but, <laughs> but it is such a fun movie. But like the I, distance between your four star and his three star <laughs> review is one fucking star. And that seems so arbitrary. Seems like an important star though, right? Like, <laughs> Come on, guys. I feel I, like, I, listen. One day we should have a whole episode where we just dig into our like letterbox, our letterbox oh, okay. ratings. I was gonna say because like I'm looking at my letterbox account right now, and I really enjoy judging my um, like the bell curve of my scores because you can see that um, on your on your main page. Yeah, I, yeah, and I know like it's it's biased because I tend to only watch things that I like. Right, I'm not a critic. I don't watch everything, but my most common rating I give out is four stars. Three. Oh. Mm-hmm. So okay. a hard hit on the mummy raft just wanted <laughs> to point that out. I know. I was gonna say he went no. out of his way to give it a three. But listen, I, I, I gotta I gotta talk about the mummy here because we have an amazing um uh, main character in in Rick O'Connell, Brendan Fraser, who is that swashbuckling, I don't know, um uh, selfish, I guess he's kind of brash in his own way, adventurer. And then you have uh, the amazing Rachel Vice, who is a librarian. <laughs> she is, she my, is great um, in the movie. She's she's wonderful. She's fantastic mm-hmm. in the film. But I got to give a shout out to obviously um, Arnold Vosloo as the the titular mummy and Oded Fair as um, Ardeth Bay, the Medjay. But how about the amazing Kevin? I, I think his name is Kevin O'Connor or Kevin Johnson. I don't know. He plays Benny, Benny Gabor, (laughs) who is the most memorable, conniving, and he's just a slime ball. And I don't know. He's one of the most memorable, I guess, secondary characters in, I get like when I think back to my childhood and some of these um, adventure films or um, films that I grew up watching, he always stood out to me. He was so funny and he was just like, he's so punchable, especially that scene where he, um, when the boat sinks and then he gets all the um the horses and he's like look O'Connell I have all the horses ah! <laughs> and then Brandon Fraser goes you all uh, Benny you're on the wrong side of the river <laughs> sorry this is a Brandon Fraser need to do a reading of this script come on charity <laughs> where you do all the voices you are every character patrons patrons do it pledge your yeah, money patrons, here you go patrons go ahead and ask for that we will organize it but listen um, uh, just I agree that Benny is hilarious. I would also say that it's my earlier point of what I remember about the movie. I remember that Benny's funny. I think I, I really enjoyed Benny and I really hated like the suave brother, I think, of Rachel Weiss, like the Oh, John Hanna. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like yeah. the um, clumsy British like, guy and he's a little bit stuck yeah. up and he, yeah, he needs help in every fight. Yeah. Like the womanizer too. Right. So, but you know what? Like uh, what I'm going to say is I think my hot take is Benny should have survived the first uh, mummy film. He should have went on to be, you know, still there in uh, Mummy 2. And then this was my little take here. He should have ended up to be a villain or a mummy in one of the future films. But guess what? I'm not Stephen Summer who directed the film. Can he and- still be a mummy? What is the story of the mummy? Like, I know the first one, obviously, it's the dude that was sleeping with the woman and then gets killed. And so, yeah. but like, 
So are new people becoming mummies in Mummy 2 and Mummy 3? I don't think no, I can No, in Mummy the 2, plot. it's the same guy who comes back. But he wants to um, uh, get the Spear of Anubis or something. Um, and he has to kill the Scorpion King so that he can control the, the army rock. of the dead. Yeah, I do remember the seeing rock before he became a star the Scorpion King at the drive-in, and I think I saw it the same night that uh, well, I saw one of the Tomb Raider movies. That sounds right. Tomb Raider and Scorpion King was better back to back at the <laughs> what a feature double feature. Could not tell oh, you man. anything about either of those movies, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess to just end the rant on the Mummy, I think it's fantastic, and I think it is deserving of more than a three star, maybe a three and a half. Maybe a four. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not a five, but it is it is cl- a classic, at least. I don't know. Fair. I mean, I, I don't see that much distance between you giving you. it a four and you so giving much. it a three. <laughs> it just seems like I, if I gave it a 3.5, I would be exactly in the middle between both of you. And it's like, you know what? It would be perfectly fine. I think it's good. I think it's good. That's, this is where I, I think it's great. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Jordan, sorry. Uh, what else are you watching, buddy? Uh, this past weekend, I also, uh, decided to go and pay for a movie and watch something that was being, hey. um, featured on hot docs, which is happening. The documentary oh, yeah, film is. festival out of Toronto. Um, I remembered because one of my, or I should say my favorite film podcast, I'm totally plugging another podcast in the middle of this podcast. Oh, my favorite film podcast <laughs> is the film junk podcast. It's also the Guinness world record, uh, longest running film podcast. Oh wow. They have like over 700 episodes. Anyway, they were Holy talking shit. about some hot docs movies. So we have I looked through episodes, but anyway, sorry, <laughs> hey, you'll get there. You'll get there. Getting there. One episode at a time. Right. Um, I was looking through all the things, uh, obviously documentaries can be quite heavy. I was looking for something light. I ended up, uh, selecting a movie called set with an exclamation point S E T. And mm-hmm. this movie was so much fun. So this was a, uh, let's see if I can read the description. It's, it details the cutthroat tablescaping scene to review oh. the meticulous insanity that goes into winning best in show at the orange orange County fair. Orange. So I didn't know this was a thing, but com- wow. competitive table setting. So basically the comp- the competitors are given a prompt. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think the, like a theme. Yeah. Like a theme or like, like a theme might be, uh, I think one of the ones they had this year was like international theme. So just whatever you want to do with an international theme and then mm-hmm. you have to place a table setting. So silverware, Wait, we're dishware. Like and like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah. But like themed cutlery. And then like, so they all have different styles and they like, it goes through all the different teams and they're all going at it in different ways. Um, a lot of them are like getting their husbands to help them. One guy is like, one guy's getting into it and he's, he's like lost his job and he lives with his mom and he's like going all in on this. And he's like a big cosplayer on the side. Oh, wow. Um, so you really get into like the background of these people. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah. the competitiveness of it. And uh, it was it was tons of fun. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. Ooh, Maybe four um, and a half, actually. Ooh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was super fun. And I hope it shows up on Netflix or something. But uh, if not, I'd recommend people to go go check it out. I think you can rent it until sometime in May. May 20-something, I think. And I think that's one of my favorite types of documentary when it's like you get thrown into this world that sounds incredibly bizarre and like you know like it's not beyond anything you would ever imagine and then all of a sudden you start getting to know like these characters and you find that a lot of like their struggles and their motivations are like incredibly relatable things Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're so invested in this world that was 
that is like beyond, I guess, what we would say, like the norm uh, of regular, you know, like, and then you're like invested in it. And I think that's always been like my favorite type of documentary. So I will go see if I can find this because it sounds right up my alley. Uh, the last documentary I think I've seen that's in that kind of uh, world in the sense that it's not like something timely or, you mm-hmm. know, like a, like a strange hobby or something was Tickled. <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys saw that. It's, it's a tickle fight. It's, no, no uh, dude, it's a, tickle professionally. it's a fetish of being tickled. And it's the most uncomfortable thing I think I've ever watched. I really is like a fetish for the tickle or the tickler. Like who is getting off on this? Or I guess tickle-y. both. I don't know. Like, so the person that's Been getting tickled. tickled. Do they have roles? Oh, Do they have established roles? Yeah, within the there, tickling? there are like the people like go on like um, eBay, not eBay, sorry, like Craigslist. And then they get all these um, uh, uh, ads for being tickled. And then when they get there, it's like they get held down. And then it's almost like. It's like very sensual, but it's not because they both find pleasure in tickling the other person, but it's not super sexual, right? I wonder if it matches your sexual orientation as in like, do straight people want to get tickled the the person of the opposite gender? Does it not matter? Is it like, oh, this person tickles really well, independent (laughs) of what, you know, his gender may be? So many questions, really. Check it out. It was uh, it was like what four years ago, right? But um, I just remember there was one scene where um, the, you see the camera crew come in, and then they're filming this guy, and this guy's like, "I'm ready." <laughs> <laughs> More questions. Are they naked when this is there happening? Are some, there are some people that are like half naked, right? Again, it's like mm-hmm. oddly sexual or uh, like mm-hmm. sensual, but it doesn't feel yeah. like they're they have that attraction, right? And is it mostly like it's rib men. action? No, or man. Are we they going go places. Like feet? Oh, okay. <laughs> Check it out. It's <laughs> so I'm looking at uh, the letterbox, like the summary of it, so I can see what you gave this movie. What did I thinking give it? about oh, it right God. now? What What do you think you gave it? Oh man, did I give it a three? I hope you gave it a three. <laughs> you gave it a three. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh man. Well, there you go. I mean, it was memorable enough that I remember it, man. But it was it was crazy uncomfortable in in a good way. Like I was like, ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe because I'm ticklish. But anyway. Um, Jordan, was that it? So set, right? That's what you recommended, set, yeah. Jordan. I'm, I'm going to check it yep. out. I'm going to for sure check it S-E-T out. S E T with an exclamation point, and that's directed and uh, edited by Scott Gallic. Gallic, I think how you say his name? G A W L I K. I looked uh, him up on Twitter because I was like, "Oh, who is this guy?" And he has like a hundred Twitter followers. So I tweeted at him saying I liked the movie, and he like retweeted it and liked it. So uh, nice. Go go watch the movie. Go follow Scott because he deserves more attention because he makes a good documentary. Yeah. There we go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I guess we'll we'll go to you, Rod. Uh, what are you watching? Uh, nothing great, I think. Unfortunately, I was trying to think. Like, is there anything that has been like really, really worth sharing? I will say though, maybe we can talk a bit about it more later. Though, like, the one thing that I've enjoyed since the last time that we've spoken is the Mitchells versus the Machine machines and we can talk about that one later but like what else have i been watching i've been watching this uh deranged reality tv show that is the circle i don't know if you guys are familiar with the concept of the circle what's the first season it is like a mix of, I guess, like like Alexa meets Facebook meets Survivor is, I guess, really the concept of the show. So you have all these people that are like in isolation and they come in 
And then they pretend that they are speaking to like a social media platform slash Alexa type situation called the circle. And so they walk in and they're like, circle, open a chat with all the the guys and call it like, I don't know, bros before hoes or whatever, like some stupid, something stupid like that. And then they're like yelling at their screen, like, uh, you know. Hey guys, just wanted to get in here before anybody reached out to you. Hashtag misters before sisters or whatever. I emoji, fire emoji, eggplant emoji, send. And it's like, so it's like, it's, it's deranged. And it's like, I want to say that there is something of value that I, that is pushing me to watch all these episodes. But the only reason that I do is because it's just like, this show is fucking crazy. And so yeah. every episode that ends, it's like, Removed from reality, right? Like I can't like these people have to be coached by producers to act the way that they do because they throw out some hashtags that are not like real hashtags. You know, like you so can't think of any it on the random fly grouping kind of, thing. of yeah. words. And uh, it, it, this season in particular was like specifically wacky in that like they changed the rules like every week. So I guess to go back, if you don't know, the, what happens in this game is that you can either play as yourself or you can play as a catfish. And I guess the thesis of this show is like, are you being judged on face value on these social media platforms or is your true essence what is coming through and determining your your connections and your relationships with people? Right. And so you can play as a catfish, you can play as yourself. And then after like a week or so, you get like ranked. Everybody gets ranked and the people at the top get to block somebody from the social media platform and just remove them. And eventually, at the end, only a select group of people will be left, and one of them will be the winner. Oh, so it's but like a competition show. It's like a survivor type competition show uh-huh. mixed in with Facebook, mixed in with Alexa, because you're just yelling shit at your TV. And this season, every week that they went by, it was like a new fucking set of rules for how they were going to eliminate a person, right? It was like all of a sudden, the person with the most votes just like the first week, it was the regular one where it's like the two people with the top most votes, they have like a debate with each other and then they eliminate one person. Then in another week, it was like the person with the most votes just straight up eliminated one person. <laughs> then like in another week, it was like the two at the bottom, like some shit. And then like two people got eliminated and then just catfished again. And it was like, what are the set rules for this game? Because truly they could have done absolutely whatever the hell they wanted. And there's no way that anybody could call them out for like influencing or trying to get one result versus the other because the rules were so fucking murky. And I say this as somebody that is currently organizing a, a survivor <laughs> competition mm. for my online friends that, you know, you have to set some rules and parameters in place. You can't keep, keep on bamboozling people and not knowing like whether they're going to be go, going this week or fighting against other people. Like it was just a ridiculous setup. But that's what I've been wasting my time on this quarantine. I've watched the full season of The Circle in like two days. Buddy. Wow. I, you know what? Yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of uh, rip on that because... And I don't know if this could be a future podcast episode, but reality TV, folks, do you think mm-hmm. it's legitimately scripted or there is some legit truth to it in terms of the winners? Do you think the producers have an idea of who they want to win? So they kind of rigged the way to get that winner in or or what? What's your take? I don't know. <laughs> I was just going to say like a show like that, that, that Jordan, uh, I, I saw on his list is RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, Lawrence Cheney. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> that is a... <laughs> and- and it's just like a show like that to me, if I can guess from the very beginning, it's like, oh, this queen is going to win. Like, it's like this last two seasons of the UK and the US and week one, these contestants come in and I literally said, it's going to be this one and this one. And it, those were the winners. So it's like, 
I don't know if that's like post-production to give you that narrative Editing, of man. who's likely going to win uh-huh. or it's just like that they see them and they're like, we just have to figure out a way to make them win. Because I will say in the U.S., there is one drag queen in particular called Candy Muse, who a couple of weeks showed up like with absolute trash as of the <laughs> runway and still managed to fucking like not get eliminated. So I don't know. It seems like she was just always meant to go to the end. That's yeah, they d- there definitely is a bit of that playing. I mean, I don't know. I'm 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 new to RuPaul fandom, so I don't oh, know all the mm-hmm. history of all the seasons, but my limited time of watching the last like four or five seasons that have come out, um, seems like that they have a bit of a who they Favoritism. would like to see. Yeah, yeah. Like who they want totally. to kind of keep who who's on. Um but then I think yeah, when you just said a big part of it is just the editing. Um mm-hmm. I know I we recently just watched uh the latest episode of Canadian Bake Off, like the great Canadian Bake Off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like the editors were overplaying their hands in every single episode because like halfway through every episode, you could just guess, oh, well, so-and-so is going home uh-huh. just because yeah. of the edit. And like, because of the little things they put in to make you like, so that as an audience member, you understand why the judges make their, like the, the calls that they do. So mm-hmm. I think a, a skilled editor can kind of keep people on their toes and like not make it too obvious, but then some of them just telegraph it too hard. Oh yeah. Jordan, are you a a baking show veteran or is this kind of like an early foray into that specific show? I watched, uh, I think the last three or no, maybe the last four latest seasons of the British Bake Off and the last like three of the Canadian. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen any of the early Bake Off episodes that people talk about like Sherry Berry or some other people. And I've never seen any of them, the original hosts in that. Um, Yeah, Mary Berry, I think. But Mary Berry, yeah. Yeah, I do think though it's like, Baking the great, the British Bake Off and the great Canadian baking show, whatever. I do find what you're saying is very true, but I think also part of it is the way that it's structured that it's like if you fuck up like the first challenge or the second challenge, you go into the third one knowing that it can really only be like one of the people that fucked up the other two, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that there's some that are like 100% not going to get eliminated because they did, they were like, great at doing the technical challenge or the first one. And so if like their showstopper isn't at that level, you just know that they're not going to go through. But I do like, I mean, I do think the season suffered more of it, but I just think that show in general from the beginning, it's like, it's never like every other or like say a show like survivor where you literally in any episode, anybody can go home right at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes mm-hmm. these plans come out of the, out of the blue, but it's like for the, the baking shows, it's like, I think for the first challenge, it could be anyone. But then by that point, like after the second challenge, you know that it's only going to be like one of three people or one of two people that yeah, are going home. It's very rare that, I mean, it happens once in a while where someone's mm-hmm. awful at bread or something and then they <laughs> underbake something and then they go home. But <laughs> Jordan, are you a survivor stan? I am not. I don't think I've ever <sighs> seen a series of a season oh, of wow. Survivor. Really? Oh, I've, buddy. I remember watching a little bit of it when it first came out. When was that? The year 2000? Boston Rob, <laughs> who knows? But buddy, you got to get into it, man. Yeah, Survivor is, I think, to me, one of the best reality shows of this type where strategy it's is legit. Involved. But the problem, yeah. like my dichotomy right now with recommending Survivor is that like my seasons that I would recommend are like a lot earlier because yeah. later seasons have involved a certain amount of like trying new things to keeping it interesting that I don't think they really need, but I can't see maybe the argument of like people that have seen 30 seasons already, maybe they want something new, but it's like the problem is that those older seasons that I would recommend are not in like this nice HD, like, you know, 1920 by 1080 format, like the rate ratio aspect ratio and everything. So it's like, 
I have a hard time recommending like those kind of squarish SD <laughs> videos that are out there for Survivor. Listen, uh, for any uh, new newbies to Survivor, you got to see Pearl Islands and Cook Islands. I, th- I think that's like yeah. season seven and like season eleven. Anyway, Jordan, give it a shot because uh, maybe you'll join us and maybe we'll have a Survivor episode because. I got lots to talk about mm, Survivor. But anyway. Raph is one of the players or was one of oh, the players of the Survivor buddy. game. That <laughs> I got bamboozled, but that, hey. First one out. Uh, don't need to rub it in. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I guess it's my turn about some of the films or stuff that I've been watching during this quarantine and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just recently finished Gareth Evans' uh, Gangs of London, which is a B. It's a British show. I think it's a Sky One. Um, but it was uh, originally done by um, uh, HBO, and then they sold it to uh, Sky One with a director of The Raid, which is going to be, I'm going to revisit later, but it's a British show starring Joe Cole. Um, it's basically Boardwalk Empire uh, with a lot of knives, and it's extremely violent. And I think it surprised me how good the show was with being uh, dramatic, but also in terms of their utilization of violence, because some of the violence in the show is... I don't know, maybe because I know Gareth Evans a lot and I know his films are very, are based in martial arts, right? Uh, if, if, if anyone doesn't know, um, Gareth Evans did The Raid, which was uh, mm-hmm. a couple of action films back in like 2012, 2011, something like that. But anyway, that's what I've watched. But in terms of movies, um, uh, I, I've been re- watching a lot of crap. <laughs> I mean, I, I, these are new releases, but none of them has Im- have impressed me so much. And I've seen... Um, uh, Mortal Kombat, um, HBO. Mm, that was that was a, that was a rough one, literally. Rough. Uh, I did you see it, Jordan? I didn't. I'm interested. I was a big fan of the original. I was a big fan of the Mortal Kombat two on Super Nintendo. I played the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll watch it eventually. It's just I, my wife would never tolerate that being on the TV and her in the same room. <laughs> so that's a mm-hmm. me watch it on my own kind of day. I endured a fatality watching that movie. Let me just say that. So yeah. that was pretty bad. It's rough. Um, I've also watched Without Remorse, which is a new Taylor Sheridan who uh, with Tom Clancy, or well, I guess Michael B. Jordan, which was crap too. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of disappointing because very, he's such a good writer. Yeah, Taylor is one of those writers that I think had an amazing streak when he first started, and now I feel like I'm seeing some rough patches here, right? And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, like. He did the first Sicario, for those who don't know. He did Wind River as well, and he did Hell or High Water. And he is the showrunner of Yellowstone, which is a very mediocre show. But anyway, my point about mm-hmm. Taylor Sheridan is that uh, he did Sicario 2. He wrote it, but it was directed by Stephen St- Stellano, some Italian guy. But um, that film apparently got a lot of rewrites, and it turned out the way it was, which was not great. Mm-hmm. The same director came back to do Without Remorse with Taylor Sheridan, and it was kind of the same thing. So I don't know if these two duds were because of that relationship with the director. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know. Taylor has a new movie that's coming out in a couple of weeks uh, called Those Who Wish Me Dead with Angelina Jolie. So, and it's going back to Montana, which is kind of his thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. I hope it's going to be a good one. But A return to form. Hope so. I mean, I, I feel like I know a Taylor Sheridan film or TV show. If it's like set in the American Midwest, um, there are um, Native American issues, right? And um, there is usually father, son, or, uh, you know, a a family involved that is Mm -hmm. in the midst of a crisis, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I don't know. I digress. I I don't know if we can even talk about this, uh, Rod, but Rod and I had a chance to see In the Heights. 
Okay, I was just going to ask. Don't know mm. if you could talk about it, but I'm really interested I mean, I will in make hearing. sure that it, whatever I say would be entirely spoiler-free. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, Rod, what did you think about it? I thought uh, I found it disappointing, and I don't wouldn't go too far as wouldn't go as far as to say that I found it bad. I just think that my expectations for it far exceeded what it was able to deliver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now part of that responsibility has to go on me. And part of it, a small part, I will say, I don't think this is the main reason I found it disappointing, but a small part of it is also that I think uh, John Chu, the director, he does the these these parts in the movie that are meant to be enjoyed in a huge ass screen, right? Like uh, he's great at doing these big, the big moments, moments and, yeah. and like capturing mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a, a musical piece that has say like 40 people dancing in a pool or like making things look beautiful in the sky. And I think that would have been improved watching it in a theater. But I think the overall structure of the story fell a little flat for me. Now, this movie, this movie has come out 15 years after the original, I guess, like Broadway, Broadway or off Broadway production happened. And so there are parts of the conversation around immigration, which is a big part of the Hispanic identity that obviously have to come into play that feel like are so outdated or no longer, I guess, the priority of where we are of the direction yeah. of the yeah like of the issues that we are currently facing as a community that i think they kind of tried to downplay it but they downplay it to the point where it's like it seemed like we were saying nothing at all mm-hmm. and so i think those were kind of some of the weaker points that almost felt like a hindrance to it but i will say that a lot of the music was like really really good there was like some emotional moments that still managed to 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 land for me I mean, I would say overall, just if you go in with slightly lower expectations, like, for example, this movie will not have the the same cultural relevance that for better or for worse, something like Hamilton had. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you kind of temper your expectations and then go in with like a little bit of a, you know, I guess maybe an open mind in terms of like what this could be about. I think you will enjoy it more than if you go in as me kind of like following right up after Hamilton and thinking that this is going to be like another big success. Yeah. I think that's where it fell flat for me. How did you feel? Uh, the same way. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I thought the film had a lot of, um, energy and a lot of emotional weight at the beginning. And then once it got to the halfway point, and then you'll clearly know where the halfway point is. Like it, it, it feels like this is it. Um, it lost like in the second half, I think I was already in snooze land again. Mm-hmm. I think I would have appreciated the film a little bit more if I saw it in a, in a movie theater. I think it loses a lot of that magic right? Um, by watching it at home. Um, though I feel like the music's great. My, my, I mean, I have little, little things about it. Like a, they have, um, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Jackson, who plays the original Benny in the film Mm -hmm. in a cameo. And the dude doesn't sing. (laughs) I mean, this is me. I mean, Christopher Jackson plays, um, uh, George Washington in Hamilton and he has, Like mm-hmm. the biggest, re- most recognizable, like Broadway voice, and for ha- mm-hmm. to have him cameo in the film, and not even have like a single piece of, like, I guess, sung moment or singing moment, mm-hmm. I felt kind of wasted. But again, I get it; it's a cameo. But then yeah. you have Lin Manuel Miranda, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's actually legitimately a character made for the movie or he's in the original. No, music. he wasn't. Like the characters in the original production. Oh, okay, just not played by him. Okay, well, yeah, obviously, right? Yeah, because he's playing. Uznavi. Fine, never mind. I was going to say, like, okay, you bring in Lin Manuel and then he does his own song, and I guess it's his own work. And I'm Chris, of course, for Jack. Anyway, anyway, anyway. My thing is, I thought the movie lost a lot of steam at the halfway point. And I think um, yeah. 
uh, ever since after, I think, uh, Abuleta's song, right? It kind of just dies down and it loses it. So I would give it, what did I give it? I think I give it like a two and a half. Mm. I think I gave it either a two and a half or a three. Like it was, it was between fine and good, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I think it, it didn't help that it came after Hamilton. So Had mm-hmm. either of you listened to the stage recording beforehand? No, because I want to experience it. And, right. and I don't I, know if I'll ever experience it, but I feel I've like... I've seen like a YouTube video of this production the entire, before. The entire mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Oh. I, like a bootleg YouTube yeah, yeah, yeah. is my experience. So during my peak Hamilton fandom, which is when I was mm-hmm. listening to the soundtrack over and over again in my car, not having seen it yet, but just listening to it a bunch, I ended up listening to... Or you know, exploring some other Lin-Manuel stuff. And I think I listened to the entire In the Heights soundtrack once, but it mm-hmm. barely made an impression on me. But mm-hmm. I have listened to like yeah. a couple tracks on it, especially the first few tracks I I think are a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm looking forward to watching the movie, but I, I do wish I could see it in theaters. Like you said, just yeah. for those, even the trailer is moments. obviously full of those big, impactful, mm-hmm. beautiful moments. But. Um, There's one song in the movie where I remember looking at um, my wife and being like, if this was like in a play, uh, sorry, on Broadway, I think I would have cried. And I think that was like maybe the second song. I think it was Nina's first song where she like comes home. I was like, wow, this is so emotional. But when I'm watching it, and is, is it the one kind of about her, uh, like related to school and, correct. and the expectations? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, wow, this is going to be really, really emotional. And then when it went on screen, I'm like, yeah, but this is in a movie. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. the same way. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I guess we'll wrap it up because um, uh, we're like 40 minutes now and we didn't even get into the hot takes. Can we quickly chat about the Mitchells versus the Machines, though? I just want to make sure that we go into this one because of everything that I've seen, this is the only thing that I truly, truly loved. And I cannot recommend it enough. Like, first of all, it's done by Sony Animation Studios, which I think is kind of setting itself up to be like a big powerhouse in terms of animation because they had like the Spider-Verse movie that had its own distinct style. And I think this one kind of grabs a lot of that. Like, I don't know that the frame rate is is different, but it's just able to grab these little moments where it's like very in the style of a Spider-Verse type movie. And it has a lot of heart. It's very funny. The voice acting is solid. Oh, Danny McBride. Um, Yeah, Danny McBride. uh, Abby, what is her last name? The girl, Abby Jacobson from Broad City. My Rudolph, I like even Chrissy Teigen in a cameo oh, role, wow. John Legend, etc. Uh, I think Conan O'Brien is even in this. Olivia, uh, at Col- one point Olivia Coleman too. What the? Who did, who did yes. Conan play? Oh. Uh, he was like one of the the robot thingies, like just in in one small moment. Mm-hmm. Um. Overall, though, I think I love this movie. I know Jordan, you also saw this. Like, what? How did you feel about it? I liked it a lot. I think. Um... I'd say it exceeded the expectations. Like the trailer, mm-hmm. I wasn't fully sold on it. It seemed a little, um, I don't know what you call it. There's a, something about that style of humor that's very like meme heavy and very reference heavy that like it can, can age poorly. But I think yeah. the way it's represented and the way it's like the daughter has like an authentic voice and it feels like it, mm-hmm. she feels like a real like 18 year old kind of YouTuber creator. Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I uh, it was a good time. I liked the animation. Um, yeah, I don't know. No complaints. I I think we gave it the no, same review. Sure. Four stars. It was. Uh, yeah, I've not go. seen it oh. yet. Now I feel like I got to see it because I heard about all the hype about it, but I never jumped on it. So 
I guess that's my next movie. Yeah, I think I, I heard Abby Jacobson on a <laughs> podcast and then I decided to give it a chance because I had seen the trailer originally on like Netflix YouTube channel, I guess. And also it didn't particularly stand out to me. But then I heard her podcast and she talked a lot about like why it was resonant to her and what felt important to her about yeah. the movie. So I was like, you know what? I'll give this a shot and absolutely no regrets. It is, I think, the best thing that I've seen in like the last, Ooh. I don't know, month and a half in terms of, uh, and you know, this is not a particularly high bar to cross. So I'm saying that I've seen a lot of bad, bad things. And <laughs> I mean, I can just kind of shout them out like uh, American Sun, not great. Uh, Q into the Storm kind of fell flat at the end there. Mortal Kombat, like we talked about, like just one movie after another that just was disappointing. And so the Mitchells versus the Machine was very refreshing and, and met my expectations. Oh, cool. Um, okay, so. Folks, I guess we'll take it from there. That's what we've been watching so far. Um, uh, uh, maybe sound off in um, our comments or maybe hit us up on Instagram after. And maybe you could tell us what we should watch. I don't know. But for now, let's take a quick break. Layered Butter is brought to you by Ola Translation, the leading Spanish to English translation agency. Pop quiz, Raf, how do you say layered butter in Spanish? Uh, le layered batter. <laughs> That's probably the French way to say it. But sure. Uh. The Hispanic population is one of the fastest growing audiences in North America. So if you want your product to be found, it's time to reach them the right way. And you can do that with the help of Ola Translation. Raf, guess what? What? Layered Butter listeners can get 5% off all services by using our special code. And that code is... Butter! That's right, butter. So go out there and reach your customers in Spanish with the help of Ola Translation. And we're back. Okay, so if you guys have been following us on Instagram, um, uh, we've been asking some of our fans here about some hot takes they had. And maybe mm-hmm. I thought it would be interesting if we would talk about it, right? Uh, if we agree with it, if they are really hot takes or they're just dry takes, dry takes, wet takes, mm-hmm. I don't know. Tepid takes, yeah, warm takes. I don't know. But yeah, so we have a few um, and I'm just going to read off from what we have here um, and we can kind of go from there. Okay. So the first one I, I have here is why the last man is going to revolutionize comic books and TV. For those who don't know uh, why the last man is a, um, <clears throat> is a comic book, I guess it's a graphic novel. That's being adapted into a, uh, a series uh, on FX, I believe. Um, it was originally mm-hmm. supposed to star Barry Kogan from uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, the guy who's eating the spaghetti, but he's not there anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's being shot here locally in Toronto. And I want to see your takes. What do you guys think? It's going to revolutionize TV and film, mm. or at least comic well, book? I think it says comic book Comic movies. book, yes, yeah. fine. Okay, that's a big distinction. <laughs> yeah. Rod, what are you thinking? I agree with this one. I 100% endorse this opinion, and I will give you my explanation as to why. Um, I think when most people think about a comic book movie, their mind immediately goes to like either like The Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan type things, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But for a long time, there has been a lot of really, really good movies that are based off some type of comic book property, right? Like I'm talking about like old boy or a history of violence yeah, or true. like a road to perdition, like Persepolis, like a lot of these things that are like high quality movies that are based off, but it's like, I think just they've never managed to kind of break this barrier of people 
looking at this as like a comic book property mm. that is a good movie, right? And so, or a TV TV show. And I think like the first one that has kind of been distancing itself from the idea of being like a superhero related property was The Walking Dead. But I think The Walking Dead's issue is that it just wasn't particularly good, right? So yeah. it's like, it's it it does a lot to raise the the bar or like the perception of like what a comic book property can be. And so there are a lot of other ones here that that have come that are coming out pretty soon that I'm excited for. But I think Why the Last Man is going to be the first one that is going to be a high level product in in, in story, and it's it's just going to make people think differently about like what a comic book, uh, TV or movie can or should be, right? And I think that's going to lead to um, some other other like comic book properties getting scooped up to be able to, to get signed on to become a show or a TV. And it, just in case people don't know why the last man is a story about a man named Yorick and his capuchin monkey. I think his name is ampersand. And <laughs> they basically one day out of the blue, uh, all the men, all the males in, in, in the world just die. And all that's left is women. And the only exceptions are, why Yorick, who is the last man and his monkey. And so he kind of has to navigate this new world that is completely, uh, it's broken in so many ways because the patriarchy that we currently live in has set up a world where men are uh, an important piece, like an important cog in the machine, right? And so when you take that out, like so many things like government, society, like jail, like all these things are forced to kind of figure out what their new normal looks like in a world where only women are able to take these roles now. And so it's a great story and I'm really, really excited to see what it's going to look like in, in TV or movie sh- format. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, Jordan, mm-hmm. you have any thoughts about this? Um, so I have read the first issue or not the first volume of why the last man, I have the second one sitting on the shelf behind me. This conversation <laughs> is inspiring me to actually pick it up again and read it. Nice. I like the first one a lot. I feel like I was on a real role. Um, I I don't know I I guess I I don't know if I have high hopes about uh, revolution like revolutionizing TV um <laughs> but I hope so I mean that would be cool uh I feel like I'm definitely going to check out the series I've heard great things about the the comics for years before picking it up um I know I think I mentioned this to YouTube but I we got a, a notice in our our mailbox a couple of weeks ago that they were filming uh, right yeah. around the corner from us um so there's a park right down the street from my house called Goldie Mill Park where there's the the ruins of an old mill that they've just recently restored. And I guess they were filming there. So I'm going to watch the show just to like see the park down the street from me for sure. Um, But yeah, I think uh, it's a really interesting story. And um, I know just from the first third of it that I've read, it explores a lot of really, it it goes in a lot of interesting places. I think that you wouldn't necessarily expect, which is the idea of there's one man left on earth. It's not a stupid comedy. It's not like, you know, it, it, it goes places with it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm interested to see how it turns out because I think, um, Rod, you bring up a good point. There are a lot of uh, major films that were graphic novels, novels that I don't think a lot of the major audiences know that they were graphic novels, like um, mm-hmm. Road, Road to Perdition. I feel, I yeah. feel like that one is forgotten. And even History of Violence, like no one has that relationship that it's originally yeah. a, um, um, a graphic novel. So. Um, hopefully let's see what happens with this guy and, um, you know, if it will, as you say, or as this guy says, or whoever says this, uh, revolutionize, uh, film and TV. Um, okay. Next up another hot take. What do we got here? 
Uh, they need to remake Twilight. <laughs> Twilight being, um, uh, what's it called? Robert Pattinson and um, uh, Kristen Stewart's uh, very famous, uh, I get, what is it, a trilogy? Or it's like four or five movies? Five. I think it's four. I oh, think it's five. five. Breaking Dawn. I, and oh, I might be clips. wrong. I think it's five yeah, think movies, it's four, four books. books yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I think oh, it's yeah, four books, five movies. Oh, yeah, they split it up like, into part mm-hmm. one, part two. Um, but yeah, they... Um, should they remake Twilight? Oh, why? Question mark. Jordan feels. I'll say no. I recently <laughs> watched the entire Twilight series over the recently? Christmas break over Christmas. So okay, okay. five months ago or so now. Um, nah, they, they shouldn't. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. There's not enough there. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of like weird problematic sort of takes at the heart of twilight that like, it's not like the movies mm. just did a bad job. Like the movies did a good job and there's just, uh, there's yeah. some problems in there. Hey. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm all for like, you know, I think we should do more vampires. I think, uh, you know, even go for the, like do more vampire things aimed at women, make it more romantic. Like I think that it, vampires are an interesting monster for that reason because you can kind of play into their their sex mm-hmm. appeal in that but uh yeah that first movie is pretty watchable and then it just is like a nosedive from there until mm-hmm. um until they become almost re- more watchable by the end because of how stupid they are oh mm. <laughs> i mean one thing that i i clearly remember with the twilight series is um what's it called after prom my wife my my then girlfriend now wife um, went to see, I think, Breaking Dawn or Eclipse at the midnight screening after our prom. Mm-hmm. Could you believe that? No parties, just midnight screening <laughs> of Twilight. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if they ever made Twilight today, it would end up to be like a Netflix show, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, just a small mini series. But I totally see Netflix yeah. doing one because Netflix is jumping on, on that fantasy boat right now. But I don't know. Roddy, how about you, bud? I mean, here's the thing. I'm not familiar with the book. So, so some of what Jordan was saying is convincing to me and that no. But when I heard the question originally, my immediate instinct was yes, and that they should remake it because it's like it has a built in audience. It, it is appealing to a demographic that is not often catered to. And it's not like the the movies that they put out first are like these sacred pieces of art that shouldn't be touched. Right. It's like. I don't know that anyone in particular has like a, the fondest spot for them. So it seems like the kind of property that, that is safe to give it another shot to see. It's like you can't do worse, right? So why not give it a try and, and do better? But again, it's like to, to, to what Jordan was saying that there's some like themes in this that inherently are like problematic broken, that uh-huh. there's not much that you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, maybe maybe that's true. I'm not too familiar with the original material. Uh, like these new movies, like what's most memorable is like that weird ass baby that they did. I don't even remember the name <laughs> of it. And it's the splice. Renesme. Yeah. Maybe this is your shot to redo it and not become like a fucking meme or joke. Right. So maybe so, that. Like, th- that's why I would say like, yes, that it seems like a relatively safe property to mm-hmm. remake and not be held to like a high standard that you didn't meet. Right. I think that's fair. One more Twilight thought that I'll share is that I think a lot of the the popularity of hating Twilight in its heyday, so mm-hmm. say circa 2008, um, it, a lot of it was based in like misogyny. It was like, oh, yeah, this is a thing absolutely. for women. It's for girls, it's for mm-hmm. teenage girls. Yeah. We hate everything that's for teenage girls. So I don't support any of that 
like any of that critique. And I think a lot of the hate at the time was centered around that. But yeah. I think the best thing a Twilight remake could do is to just not be so precious with the source material. Like now that mm-hmm. some time has like happened, like take the same setup of a, you know, maybe do a, a TV show out of it and take the same kind of premise, but go in a different direction with it. And like, yeah. don't feel like you have to hit beat by beat to what happened in the books. Yeah. yeah. And like, if you have to give certain characters more agency for them to be like, more valid in terms of you know like criticism i I think do it go ahead and change them up oh look at that so maybe yeah they do need to twilight but those are thoughts (laughs) (laughs) um uh let's see so okay Mm, this one is a bit uh interesting so uh old black and white movies are so bad that they're almost a parody of cinema this is vicious but Mm -hmm. thoughts rod i'll start with you bud I don't know. I mean, I think there is something there. Um, like, I don't know if I personally feel it, but my sister, who I, I, I love dearly, great person, but she will not touch a movie that is in black and white. Like, if it sure. does not have some color on it, she's not even approaching it. I think to me more so than the color of it, like, say, black and white is not what bothers me. I think a lot of the time, the way that people spoke has not aged in the same way to what it is now. So like when I watch mm-hmm. something like that, I'm very clearly watching a movie. It's not like I don't lose myself in the narrative and so all of a sudden think it's like it's like it's very abundantly clear for me that I'm watching a movie, right? And so I don't have like I personally don't have that huge of an issue with the idea that I'm going to watch a movie. So I can see this person's point, I guess, but I don't necessarily agree. I think that a good movie Parody even of if cinema. it's like yeah, it's, there's probably some, some <laughs> Sorry, stuff buddy. out there that is, is worth exploring. So I would say there's probably some shitty old black and white movies that are parodies of cinema, but not enough for you to generalize all of them is where I land. Yeah. Jordan, how are you? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the sentiment that this is coming from, like the idea that you watch something that's really old and you've seen parodies of it. You've seen every movie that's come after it. So like the worst movie of today has is standing upon the shoulders of like all the movies that's come before it versus if you're watching a movie from the forties and it's like actually figuring something out or doing something unique. Um, Mm -hmm. It just feels a little bit like someone who says that like the Beatles are a crappy band because like, or insert any reason there, right? Like, because, (laughs) Oh, like a new band is doing something better. It's like, yeah, you kind of have to watch it by or, or listen to them or watch an old movie um, and like take it for what it was at the time. I think some people are like they can do that easier than others and other people, um, they just have a harder time doing that. I'm looking at a, a big list of like black and white movies and I'm trying to think and I feel like I need to see more old black and white movies. I know in general, did you, did I am you send not, this hot take, Jordan? Uh, no, this, this was not me. This wasn't me, but um, I think it just in general, I'm someone who I watch. I, I, I think I tend to think that I watch a lot of old movies, but I just watch a lot of movies from like the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. I yeah. very rarely stray like beyond that. Um, I feel like I should more. And I know I've got at least one or two black and white movies on the, the shelf behind me that I've yet to, yet to get <laughs> to because yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> So yeah, I'd say this is a bad take, but like I kind of sympathize with a general movie fan who's, you know, there's some black and white movies you can recommend to people. And then there's some that you're like, you don't watch this, go watch 
King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, like, I was gonna say I saw Twelve Angry Men recently, and that's in black and white, and it's a good movie, and it stands up. It's so I would say like check that one out, and maybe if that one's not your cup of tea, then maybe you agree with this person, and you just black and white movies are just not for you. I I, I think I take offense to the fact that they said it's almost a parody of cinema because. Wouldn't you argue that the original movies were the original cinema of the time? And maybe because mm-hmm. we were born in, you know, today's generation, whatever we watch now or whatever we watch, um, yeah, like today, that would be our perception of cinema, right? Yeah. Um, and just, I guess, the concept feels gatekeepy, right? Like, sure. what is cinema, question mark? Like, you know, like if somebody wants to say Bridget Jones' Diary is cinema, aka me, should that not be fair and valid? <laughs> the Mummy like, is cinema, do- okay? <laughs> yeah, right? So it's like, I don't know what cinema is. Fair enough, um, guys. This this question has me curious, and I don't know if either of you could pull this question up, but what's the oldest movie that you've seen? At least, uh, maybe I'll say you've seen in like logged on Letterboxd. So oh, seen in the last, I don't know, decade or whatever. to the moon? It probably has to be 12 Angry Men for me. Yeah, do you uh, know what, what year is that? Because I can, my oldest out. movie I've seen is 1959, which... 12 Angry Doesn't, Men is 1957. Okay. Yeah, I saw I, uh, Hiroshima Monomore. Oh, yeah, that one. Um, Trip to the Moon, 1902. <laughs> I mean, uh, do okay, shorts count? The train one. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, this is the one from uh, Hugo, um, Martin Scorsese, where there's, um, um, there's a picture of the moon and something lands right in it. But it's a short film, so but I don't yeah. think that counts. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean... There's so many different ones, but I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, Orson Welles, um, what's his name? It was just the, dethroned the last man? week. We're just talking about oh, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. Yeah. But I don't I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So uh, old black and white movies, um, a parody of cinema. Yeah, right, bud. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> um, okay, so Blade Runner 2049 is better than the original Blade Runner. I mean. I'm going to start this off uh, because I'll be honest with you. I love the new Blade Runner. I thought this film made me appreciate the old, the original one 10 times more. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because Denny Villeneuve's direction and his integration of the world really pulled me in more than I did when I watched the first Blade Runner. Right. And I think yep. when I watched the first Blade Runner, I was still like, you know, uh, in film school, and I was just like, "Who oh, do gotta watch this?" And I watch it. I was mm. like, "Who this is?" I wasn't really into it, and I think it was it felt dated to me, and that's why mm-hmm. I felt yeah. like the new Blade Runner really brought a lot of the themes, like the replicants and the identity um, uh, theme, to life a little bit more. And I think I could relate to it. Um, mm-hmm. Story wise, it's okay. I mean, like. Uh, it's, it's hard sci-fi, which I appreciate, but, um, yeah. I think just a world building made me appreciate, uh, Ridley Scott's version a little bit more well, as I'm older now. Mm. I don't know. Rod, how about you? You a big fan? Not a I, fan? I mean, there's so many things here that it's like, I would have to question further. Cause like when you say the original Blade Runner, like which version are you talking about? Right. Because the there's like I think 70, oh, gosh. 72 different variations of this movie <laughs> that you can see. And so I guess some of them, it must be better and maybe some not. I think like if you're just talking about like a movie, like maybe I agree that Blade Runner 2049 is a better movie, right? And I just mean that in a very simplistic way of looking at it. But I think the original Blade Runner is like much more interesting, much more uncomfortable. 
you know, will leave you a little bit unsettled and, mm-hmm. and more inventive in a certain way. I think like maybe narratively structured Blade Runner 2049 is is like I'm not I don't know if better is the right way. I would say like maybe an easier, f- more satisfying watch than something like the original Blade Runner. Yeah. But I would say it. I guess I, my question would be like, who is who? Like, if this is like a recommendation that I'm giving to someone, I would say it's like if they are the type of person that wants to be very analytical about what they just saw, I would recommend the original Blade Runner. And if they are the kind of person that just wants to eat some popcorn and have a good time, <laughs> I would recommend the recent one. I feel bamboozled, and it's okay to be either. I'm just saying, like, it, it's it's two very two different experiences. Yeah. I think is where I land. Yeah, I, I wanted to say like when I first heard this hot take, I wanted to say like, yes, I fully agree. But I think mm-hmm. after just listening to both of you, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. The Blade Runner 2049, I think, is stronger than the original, but it's only because the original exists. It, it's almost mm-hmm. like there you it, go. the uh-huh. new one made the previous movie better by existing, and it's better because the, the previous one exists. It's yeah. almost like they stand on each other's shoulders and make one super mm-hmm. movie together, because yeah. I think, um, like one of you said, if watching the original Blade Runner... Every time I want to sit down and watch it, I have these high expectations and I love the first like 15 minutes and then somewhere between 25 minutes in and an hour and a half in, I just news land. Yeah. Like it feels like that whole movie feels like you've sure. taken too much like cold medicine and you're just like in and out of consciousness the entire time. Um, but like, I think the new one captures that feeling that you want from the original yeah. Blade Runner, that feeling of the score and the mist and yeah. the skyscrapers and like it does all of that and it just like um makes it real for like a, a new uh, a new you know what new movies are but um yeah i love the new blade runner and seeing that in imax was like one of the best oh yeah film experiences experience. i've ever had mm-hmm. so. yeah yeah um i i guess to touch base on uh blade runner and ridley scott we got a hot take saying that ridley scott has kind of lost his plot <laughs> he hasn't had a decent film since Black Hawk Down. And just to give some context here, some of the films that he released after Black Hawk Down was Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, Prometheus, The Counselor, Exodus, The Martian, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World, and then he has two films coming out in 2021, uh, House of Gucci and The Last Duel. With everything I just said, there are a lot of duds, but there are some mm-hmm. really, really good films in there. I mean... Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut, is an amazing piece of work and probably one of the best films to explore a director's cut um, because the differences between original and uh, Ridley's version is substantial. It's totally two different films. Um, American Gangster was great, but I'm a big fan of any Alien film, so I'm down to party with Prometheus and Alien Covenant at any time. So I don't know about you guys. Roddy, how about you? Ridley Scott fan? Yeah, I mean, generally, yes, I would say I am. But I think also it's like I feel kind of like how Steven Spielberg. Um, it's like one thing when you're less lesser known and you're people are not comparing. Like, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you have an easier time when there's less to be compared to. Right. Like mm-hmm. now everything that he puts out is like, is this going to be like Blade Runner? Is this going to be, I don't know, even like Thelma Louise or the Gladiator or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's 
such high expectations for a movie of his, but there are like I enjoyed all the money in the world, and I think what they did to Kevin Spacey is one of my favorite things that has happened ever in cinematic history. Um, the fact that Christopher Plummer is showing up for like five days, <laughs> yeah, and that's perfect, you know. So it's like I don't know, like I, I mean, I don't disagree that perhaps these new ones are on average weaker than what he had originally, but it's also because. Now you go into a Ridley Scott movie with expectations that are much, much higher than you would have, like, say, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, right? Um, the the House of Gucci one, is this the Lady Gaga movie that yeah, I keep on seeing? Like, Adam Driver Adam and Lady Driver, Gaga? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, I guess. It's like, there's no movie that he's put out that I would be apprehensive about going into a theater to watch. So <laughs> if, is that not good enough? I totally agree with you. I think any anything that has a Ridley Scott name... While it might not be as iconic as some of the films that he's brought out in his early in his career, I think it's safe to say it'll still be a great film. No? Mm -hmm. How about you, Jordan? You know, Ridley Scott's a weird director in that I don't have strong opinions about him one way or the other. Like yeah, he's you're not like someone okay with him, I guess, right? Yeah, I kind of feel like since of like looking at his IMDb, since about the year two thousand, I feel like he's been firmly in the like uh, I don't know you call it like dad movie category. Like the kind of movie where you're like, oh uh, yeah, my dad, my dad would really like this. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. I've liked a lot of these. I like Prometheus. I like the Martian. Um, and a lot of his earlier films, I think there's, there's a lot of great stuff there. Um, he's just, he's not a director who I feel like has a, outside of when he's doing something like in an alien series. I don't know if he has a really distinct style to him. Maybe I'm just showing my um, uncultured senses when it comes to movies and where I don't, understand someone's style unless it's Tarantino's putting someone's feet in my face. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I got it. That's Tarantino. Bruh. But mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. What about like, do you guys think there are classic um, Ridley Scott isms? Yeah. No, I, 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 I couldn't I, point to them. I couldn't I, point I, to them. You're right. When you said that, like, I was like, what? <laughs> the movies that stand out to me the most are like Velma and Louise and Gladiator when I think of him. And it's like neither of those are in any way particularly close to each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we yeah, three no. are not cultured on the Ridley Scott world. <laughs> yeah. But I think we can all agree that he's fine. Right. I mean, he yeah. hasn't, he's, he, I don't think he's lost his touch. I just think he's the way his career is going. It's just pumping out some decent, mediocre films, you know? So, mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine to being a director and it's like you're putting all your work into this and then people are like, does not live up to the classic. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he cares. Like, I no think way. he probably he's, he's goes in, that, man. has an idea, has a good time, puts it out there. And it's like, whether it lands with you or not, he's fine with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I, I got another one. I really want to get into this one because uh, I'm very interested in the takes here. HBO no longer deserves the reputation it once had. which is stressful to me because mm -hmm. I think recently they've, you know, they, with HBO max and Warner brothers, they've, uh, with this quarantine, they've, um, made a deal to release some of the films, uh, online streaming for the first 30 days. Right. And right. I think some of those films like mortal Kombat, <laughs> were not fantastic. Yeah. They were, they were really, really bad. Right. And I mm -hmm. think with having the HBO banner, I, I, I understand that they're, um, bringing down the image of what HBO is and was, right? Mm -hmm. But to me, HBO is will always be a television network, right? So I think I'm focusing on their TV outputs too. And I feel like their quality of TV is still high bar, right? 
and I could be wrong here, but I, I think I watch almost all their HBO originals series um, in the recent years uh, and some mm-hmm. of the old ones, but I don't think there's one I would say that they're losing their touch. Maybe they're just losing their touch because they're opening up their uh, library. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Jordy, how about you? Jordy. Sorry, Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> Jordy works. No one, no one calls me Jordy, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I do. I was gonna, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that I, I don't know if it's a, if this is a case of HBO losing their touch or if everyone else is just rising to meet mm-hmm. them. Like, if the Netflixes yeah. of the world are, you know, I think you're right that it's, it's becoming a little bit more, um, like it, it's not a guarantee of quality. Like maybe it used to be and other TV shows are just as likely like a, you know, a Netflix original or uh, an original on uh, Amazon prime or whatever the hell, um, something else can just as easily match the quality of HBO. Um, I think for their big like HBO original series, there's probably still something to be said that like, you know, there's a reason why a lot of them end up being uh, front and center of our pop culture. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe the last season of Game of Thrones was like okay. a really mm, ugly yeah. sort of a, a blemish on their their history. But I mean, I don't yeah. know if I hold HBO accountable for that. No, so. I hold the other two accountable. Danny off the vice <laughs> if you're listening. Mm-hmm. Did they single handedly bring them down? Yeah, oh, bruh. I mean, come on. What was that? The bells I, triggered. I anyway, mean, sorry. <laughs> here's how I feel about this. I think this is kind of true. And I think it is inevitably true. As in, like, the more that you put out, the more that you are going to start, like, your mean or average is, start, is going to start going to a certain point, right? And I just think it's like if you're putting out a variety of content, then it's going to start going to the middle, like every other streaming network out there. Like... They had uh, the flight attendant. That that show mm. was unwatchable. <laughs> then they had Love Life, which felt very mediocre to me. I, I think it's Love Life, right? Is that the uh, Anna Kendrick one, or yeah. which is the Anna? No, yeah. no, that that's the one. Yeah, which felt very mediocre to me. Then we had uh, We Are Who We Are, which was the the Luca Wadagino show, and I didn't think that one was great either. I think it was very promising in the beginning, but then fell short very quickly. Um, I, there's a couple of shows that they've had that are just not landing with me. And now here's the thing about this, that it's like, <clears throat> it, it's very personal, your taste in movies and stuff. So like maybe everything that they're putting out has been landing with you, but it's like the more, the broader that you go, the more shows that you put out there, you're going to end up averaging towards the middle, like every other uh, like big platform there. Like for example, something like Mare of Easttown that people, that's kind of like in the zeitgeist and people are talking about like, I think it's good, but I also think it's like very much in line with like, say something like broad church. Right. So I don't know that you are really like, like to Jordan's point, like other people have also started putting out good TV. So yes, it's good, but it's also not something that I can't imagine seeing anywhere else. I think one of the interesting places will be when we see uh, Amazon Prime's The Lord of the Rings series. Mm-hmm. And if that is matching the level that Game of Thrones put out at the beginning. HBO's got some competition then, eh? Mm-hmm. Hey, Siobhan did it. For Mayor of Sound. Oh. That's what you're thinking. No, 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 no. I'm still going with the the husband of the friend, yeah, Joe Ross. John, I John think Ross. his name. John Ross. Anyway, we'll do a Mayor of Sound episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I got another one here. Uh, killing a dog is a cheap movie plot. Uh, mm. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. 
because yeah. I guess you're going to do it specifically for the emotional feels. And we always mm-hmm. relate to dogs in such a humane way or that relationship with humans that we're always going to feel yeah. bad. And we're always like, you know, very sympathetic. I mean, I know like there are films like Marley and me that are overtly about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have films like I am legend where when the dog dies, you're just like, <gasps> it's the same kind of deal. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not yeah. necessarily centered around um, the, uh, um, that, the, the death of a dog, right? Or the companion, but it's maybe that journey you took with that dog, right? Um, uh, like in I Am Legend. But I don't know. Jordan, any feels? Do you think it's cheap? Um, Do you think writers are, are, are just using this, playing this card for our feels? I guess it could be cheap. It's definitely easy. And, you know, um, I feel like something like John Wick was a... a usage of it more recently where you're like okay like they did it like don't don't kill the dog as a motivation for a revenge film anytime soon um yeah it it is it is easy to do isn't it um i don't know if it's completely cheap i just feel like it's it's how it's done i'm sure some um masterpiece director you know yeah i Mm -hmm. think killing any pet will will always end up exploring that sense of uh, sympathy for that character. You know I what was I just mean? trying to think yeah. of the, do we want to make a ranking of our most traumatic dog killing scene in a movie? Cause I just oh, thought of, uh, uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but the movie, the lobster has a particularly, oh, yeah. uh, okay. dreadful, there's a lot of emotional weight there though. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, that was that cheap. I don't know. It was heavy, but <laughs> it, it, it did a good job with like what I think the scene was intending. So but I think um, the, uh, the lobster did it in a very unique way. Yeah. Right? Compared as a way to, of just like, I'm going to introduce the main character. Look, this is Corella DeVille. Look, she's kicking a dog in the face. Now you hate her. Like, yeah, it, it, that's kind of cheap and easy, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I think about like which dog deaths have hit me emotionally, um, I mean, like the main one was probably like Futurama. Have you guys seen mm-hmm. like Jurassic Park? Like that one yeah. always hits me in the. In the fields. And then there's another movie. I think it's a Paul Walker Disney movie um, about like huskies that pull a sled kind of thing. And spoiler alert, some of these dogs don't make it all the way to the end. I think it's based on a true story, too. But it's just like, yeah, that one hit me hard, too. I mean, here's a hotter take than this person has submitted. (laughs) I think people should like move like people that are writing movies uh, should stop killing dogs as much and start veering into like a much more controversial (laughs) territory and start killing like children and babies and then be like, what, where does this story go? Right? Like, I think this is where like, it's unsettling. It's uncomfortable. Like, I think we've almost come. It's like, we've almost gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, dogs dying is sad. Absolutely. And easily, you know, you get an easy emotion out of it, but it's also become so like, mainstream and mundane that it's it's, cheap. it's not shocking uh, yeah. right so it's like yes they're killing like kids and babies let's see where we land with that <laughs> oh so that's our episode of layer butter everyone <laughs> um, how much do the patrons have to donate for you to not kill a dog that's the one of the tears right to- <laughs> yeah, start raising money and we won't be advocating for the death of dogs and babies um i think i want to do two more just before we wrap up but um this is one's a hot take will smith has never been in a good movie that hurts because mm. he was in Independence Day, and that's a fantastic film. <laughs> I would also say that Will Smith's Independence Day feels to me like Jordan feels about the mummy, and that it's probably it's three perfectly stars. fine. 
but not more oh, than man. that. <laughs> oh. Independence yeah. Day, The Mummy, and Twister are like the, the three films that I think are fantastic 90, like uh, or late 90s, early 2000 films that I think will never go away. But I anyway, think that, that's, that's a true. digression. Well, I just want to say my point of Independence Day. Independence <laughs> Day is the perfect like catch on TV when it's halfway through and perfect. watch movie. Mm-hmm. Perfect. But I don't know if it's the best like sit down and like watch from beginning to end kind of movie. You know what I mean? Like I feel like watch from beginning to end. It's a three star. Find it halfway through. That's a four and a half star. <laughs> but Will Smith never been a good, good movie. Is that a hot oh, that's take? just wrong. Yeah, that's just a wrong yeah, opinion. I, I disagree. I mean, I've enjoyed several Will Smith movies. Uh, is he a one note actor, seen, guys? Have you guys seen Enemy of the State? Oh my god, that was amazing! I love Enemy of the State. I would say even the the emotional porn, the emotional torture porn that is uh, Pursuit of Happiness. I think was, I enjoyed very much watching it. Um, I would even enjoyed I Am Legend. Like I don't know, like it, 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 he doesn't strike me as an art actor that you need to call out for never being in a good movie more than anyone else. Like I feel like he's put in his work. Yeah, he has some duds. He has some some shit yeah. movies, but he's also been in some decent stuff. Seven pounds, guys. Seven pounds, underrated. I mean, I'll oh, just yeah. say like the Men in Black movies are uh, awesome. I mean, at least the first yeah, one is great. So this? like, <laughs> <laughs> this is blasphemous. Um, but yeah, Will Smith has totally been in some good movies. Um, I, I do think though he's kind of a one note actor. I feel like he's like Leo DiCaprio to me where he's just Will Smith in every movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But let's see. But that's what the people want, right? It's like Tom Cruise. Like he's not going to bring okay, in the okay, non Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Tom Cruise is going to give you Tom Cruise no, 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 every no, no, fucking movie. No, no, he's no, going to no. run for you. He's going to give Tom you that Cruise. cadence of his okay. voice. <laughs> Tom Cruise is an amazing actor. Have you seen Magnolia? Have you seen Born on yeah. the 4th of July? Have you seen yes. Thunder Thunder Days? Thunder Days? Something like that? Mm, the racing no. one? Anyway, he's fantastic. But, okay, last one. <laughs> um, this one's big. It literally says, fuck Marvel. And Marvel films have almost never stuck the landing. So, mm-hmm. I guess these people do not believe that Marvel is good if i put it um plainly uh i uh, i rod i know you're like a comic book guy what's your feels about marvel studios hmm it is in their films i guess yeah 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 i think this is a perfectly valid take to have if you recognize the subjectivity of film liking or not liking right but I think when you start approaching, to, like, if you want to be as objective as possible, you have to start looking at, like, what parameters could you decide this by, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what? So I, I guess it's like, fuck Marvel, Marvel never sticks this landing as compared to what? Like, are we comparing it to, say, like... Uh, Maybe all their Marvel the, films? The, the, I don't know. The, the Academy Award-nominated films from 2021? Like, I think perhaps, yeah, then that's true. Like, I think they're, they're more, they're better structured or not. But are we comparing it to, like, their peers and, like, the DC or the Image universe or, like, you know? So then that becomes a more interesting question to me. I would say, like, I've said this several times, and it's almost like I'm... I, I this conversation that we have about Marvel is like incessant, <laughs> but it's like if you don't enjoy this type of movie, I think that that there's nothing illegitimate about that feeling, and I think it's perfectly valid. But it's like if you're still putting yourself through it after feeling that, then it's like you have to start to wonder like, is there something wrong with the movie, or is there something wrong with you? <laughs> so to finish off, I guess my thought on this, I would say it's like again, if you're trying to objectify it, objectify like your 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 feelings about this, it's like. 
I guess if you have some objectivity, the numbers that you will look at say something like box office and ratings, right? And in both of those categories, none of the like the lowest uh, of or like the least successful in quotation marks of these movies falls high above like the average of say like uh, a DC movie. So I guess it's like compared to what is the question like Marvel never lands their landing compared to what like there's other superhero movies out there that have tried to replicate the Marvel formula and have fallen short. There's other movies out there that are not superhero movies that have been able to exceed its capacity of storytelling. But I think Marvel in particular picked a lane very early on of what it wanted to do and what the relationship between the everyday man and the superhero to be. And they've stayed in that lane. And then for 22, 23 movies, they did what they intended to do. And they have had uh, a degree of success that is enviable from every other company, right? Like everybody would want to have what Marvel was able to create. And even if you look at the sizzle trailer that they released uh, last week about going back into the movies and like they, they put it, they highlighted in themselves that part where people are cheering in the theater. And it's like mm-hmm. just absent of everything else. Think about the idea that in, when they put this movie into theaters, people were cheering and screaming yeah, for what man. was happening on screen, right? So, like, that connection between a fiction that you are presenting in a theater and people, like, yelling and being ecstatic and feeling that community joy, like, who has been able to do that? And that's, like, a, not a small thing. So, I mean, I guess, personally, again, it's like, I think it's a valid opinion to have to not enjoy Marvel movies, but it's like, if you're trying to say that as like a generality, we shouldn't be appreciating it. then it's like, you're disconnected with like how a grand majority of people that go into the movie theaters are currently feeling. And you, you know, you don't, you don't recognize that when you throw out an opinion like that, I think. Fair enough. Marvel fan. <laughs> how about you, Jordan? I feel like my, Interest in Marvel has really faded in the last couple of years. And it's not that I'm not interested in anything coming up. It's just no longer like a given, you know, mm-hmm. like the first, um, I don't know what you call it, the phase one, phase two. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess pretty much everything up until like I saw every Marvel movie in theaters until Captain, no, sorry, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I did not see that in theaters. And then since mm-hmm. then, it felt like it hasn't been a for sure thing. And it's uh, more of mm-hmm. a, uh, maybe I'll if see I it. If I feel like I won't. it. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like I, I understand the, uh, fatigue, the Marvel fatigue, the Marvel, just like sameness of it all. And there's something that I'd kind of dislike about the, the constant, um, it's something that I think Marvel films train their viewers to do or train their fans to do, which is to like, not necessarily sit in the moment, but to always be keeping an eye out for like, what does this mean? What does that character mean? What is this Easter mm-hmm. egg? What is this draw to this? Oh, wait for the credits. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's much more about like the whole like plot and what you're not getting and what did this, like, I don't know. It just, um, part of that rubs me the wrong way, but I mean, I don't know. I, I hope, and I feel like they probably will branch out and do some interesting things moving forward. Um, and, Cause I don't think they can recreate the same success as like Endgame and to kind of redo that. So I hope that we start to see that branching. I hope that, um, specifically, you know, with something like Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, uh, cause they were kind of hinting as that being a bit of a, uh, maybe a return to horror or like playing in horror elements. We Sam got Sam Raimi, Raimi Sam yeah. Raimi coming back. Yeah. I'm definitely excited yeah. for that. 
Uh, I'm excited about a lot of movies coming up anymore, but um, maybe the whole MCU has kind of lost its shine. And I, my prediction is that when we look back at the MCU, we'll have seen it peaked with Infinity War or Endgame. And then it'll probably just be a, a long, slow decline with like a couple peaks after that yeah. is, is my guess. I mean, the only thing I'm going to uh, say uh, right before we end it off here is that, you know, in Powerpuff Girls, in the intro, it's just like sugar, spice, and everything nice. I feel like Marvel films have a formula, right? And it will stick to that formula um, every single So you can have an expectation of what to, what to find, what to expect with those films. And that's my thought. I think it's like, okay, it's a Marvel movie. No problem. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that Jersey accent came out there, but anyway, <laughs> we're going to end it off there. Um, so thanks for sending in your hot takes for those who uh, we did not get to your hot takes. Maybe we'll bring it out next episode, but uh, we'll take a break before we get to maybe more hot takes. I don't know. Let's see. Raph, you know, do you know what I'm a big advocate of? Video? Video. Established in 2010, Big Pick Co. has grown from a one-director production house to now working with some of the biggest brands globally. Above all else, Big Pick aims to produce work that is engaging, different, interesting, and essentially not boring. Raph, I think those are four words that I would use to describe you. Engaging, different, interesting, not boring? I love it. Yeah, there we go. You, you know what? Big Pick Co., wanted to make content that people were clicking on because of the way that it was presented. And one of the reasons Big Pig was started was because they felt they could create content that wasn't traditional and therefore provided more value to their customers. So if you want videos, what do you want, Raf? You want Big Pig Co. Let's go! Okay, guys. So we are just at the, um, the end uh, stretch here of our extra special episode. Um, I know we got through some of the hot takes from our fans and maybe we dropped some hot takes as well, but I'm wondering, uh, Rod Jordan, if you guys have anything to say uh, this week on your hot butter takes, Rod, you got something? Yeah. Uh, this week, the, the, the golden globes came to a disastrous crash and <laughs> end um, after failing to meet the standards of the Hollywood industry oh, yeah. Rest of in any peace, type of golden promise globes. and activity. You know, like NBC has said that they're not going to air them. Netflix and Amazon decided that they, they will no longer, I guess, participate in the whole thing. And one person that also decided to take action was uh, Mr. Tom Cruise. The Mr. man Thomas Cruise, Cruise, by the way. He decided um, to return his, uh, his Golden Globe. Three. To his three Golden <laughs> Globes. And it's like... Uh, one thing to consider when you're talking about this is that this man does not have any, like, you know... Oscars or like higher profile awards. So these are like the highest that he has. And so it must mean something. And obviously there was a lot of like a warm reception to, to this. There was a lot of warm reception earlier last year when Tom Cruise was uh, yelling at people for not following like mm-hmm. COVID, COVID uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I guess like the COVIDs are. And I think that in all of this, that we enjoy Tom Cruise, the actor, we forget that Tom Cruise is a fucking villain. And I think that's the part that is my hot take that it's like, have some, 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 some nuance when you talk about Tom Cruise and don't forget that he is part of like propping up the church of Scientology, which has been associated internally with a variety of things that are questionable. 
But even if you want to say that that isn't true and that's just being portrayed in the media or whatever, it is very explicitly advocating against stuff like, you know, psychiatry or like help that people depend on. And he is very vocal on the fact, uh, you know, like stuff against like antidepressant drugs. You know, there are currently people right now that depend on antidepressant drugs to be able to deal with their life day in and day out. Right. And so I think that's just always my caution when we're out here, like being too positive or familiar with with Tom Cruise. And recently, Seth Rogen, uh, comedic actor, he had a book coming out called Yearbook, I think. And in this book, um, he 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 talks about uh, a conversation that he had with Tom Cruise with um, Judd Apatow. And I'll read you guys the, the, the interaction. So there's no, I guess, bias here. And so it's like Tom says, well, yeah, they're making it seem like I'm losing my mind. And then Judd Apatow says making it seem like and it's like, yeah, there's a coordinated effort to make it appear the way. And so Seth asks, who would do that? And he says the pharmaceutical industry. And then they go on and they're talking about like, so did the pharmaceutical industry make you jump on Oprah's couch? And then he's like, they edited to make it look so much worse than it was. And like, first of all, in your brain, what way could they edit you jumping on fucking Oprah's couch to make you look like a normal human being? Right. And then he follows that up by saying, you should see what they do to my friend Louis Farrakhan. And if you guys don't know, this man is a guy that's said several anti-Semitic things throughout his life. Right. And he said, like Judd points that out. I was like, yeah, he said a lot of blatantly anti-Semitic things. And Tom says, no, he's great. And Judd Apatow said, he's great. He's compared Jews to cockroaches. And Tom says, no, see, that's the media. They're distorting all of it. And it's like when you think and you praise Tom Cruise for these things that he does, don't forget that he's also the person that does these other things. Right. So have some nuance in your takes of like Tom Cruise is where I land. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, OK, Jordan, how about you? <laughs> Um, I feel like I, I don't know if I can match the energy of that hotness of that take. <laughs> yeah, um, man, I'm in space. <laughs> I guess I'll, yeah, I agree. Let's not forget Tom Cruise is a monster, but, um, what's a hot take? Um, I mean, I don't mean to put you in a spot. If you don't got one, we, we dropped some bombs earlier today anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. If- I feel like I'm, I'm all burnt out on hot takes. You're all taked out. Yeah. That's okay. All good. What about you, Raf? I think. Well, I was going to mention like Gareth Evans should go back to Indonesian martial arts films, but that's not really a hot take because I think um, every Gareth Evans fan wants to see him uh, team up with Iko Uwais again and do another Raid 3. But I don't know. I I wanted to say something about like Independence Day and like The Mummy and all that kind of stuff, but I keep saying it like every fourth podcast episode, so maybe I won't. (laughs) So it doesn't get repetitive and the shine keeps shining on. So I don't know. I guess we'll leave it at that because that was a hottest take. (laughs) <laughs> my, my angry Tom Cruise. Yeah, right? I was just like, okay. <laughs> How dare you guys dish me? I thought we were all going to have hot takes at the end of this episode. So <laughs> next week, next week's episode for um, uh, uh, Layered Butter, it's just going to be me because Rodrigo's gone missing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Scientology is going to come hard. Yeah, there. I was going to say, is Layered Butter ready for the like the eye <laughs> the of Tom Cruise to turn towards you and the eye of Sauron? Yeah, <laughs> I, I apologize to my colleagues at Layered Butter if uh, if I cause them future issues. Um, but anyway, um, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of Layered Butter. As um, as always, you can reach me at jraphael on Letterbox. Uh, Rod, where can they find you? You can find me uh, if you uh, if you're not part of the Church of Scientology. <laughs> you can find me on all social media platforms at rcockting r c o k t i n g. That's also my Letterbox thing. I'm trying to be more active. I'm trying to review more, like yeah, log man. the things that I watch. So I'll do my best. 
How about you, Jordan? Where can we uh, find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at jsloggett. That's J-S-L-O-G-G-E-T-T. I don't do too much on social media, but eh, follow me anyway. Why not? Make me awesome. feel good. Follow me. <laughs> Whatever you get, like your next follow is just like Church of Scientology is following you. <laughs> hey, a follower is a follower, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but otherwise, my friends, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, check us out, layeredbutter.com. Check us out on Patreon and support us. And uh, we'll see you guys the next week. So keep listening. See you then.